George Foreman ruled heavyweight boxing for many years in the early 70s. For those of you who are young, that's the 1970s. That was a whole century ago. That was last, that was in the 1900s. I know you probably don't know much about that. But in the 1900s, the 1970s, George Foreman, he ruled heavyweight boxing for a few years. They called him the Big George Foreman. And if you don't have it, if, you, if all you know about George Foreman is the George Foreman grill, I want to introduce you to the young George Foreman of the 70s. Take a look at this. George Foreman, the big George Foreman, he retired not too many years uh, after he lost to Muhammad Ali in 1974 in the Rumble in the Jungle. Um, after his last fight, though, right before he did actually retire, George had a near-death experience. He he didn't do so well in that fight, a near-death experience. And from that, George Foreman became a Christ follower. And shortly after that, George Foreman actually became a pastor. And without meaning to, as it happens with so, so many people, he falls into a scandalous love affair with cheeseburgers. <laughs> I can't relate to that at all. I don't understand why he loved cheeseburgers. But he did, and several years later, 10 years after he became a pastor, 10 years later, and several pounds later, he decides to get back into boxing, but this time, it's really just so he can raise money for his youth group. What a, I mean, what an amazing idea. He's going to box professionally to raise money for his youth group. So he comes out of retirement, but now he's much older, he's hamburger heavy, and he's actually slower than he was in what you just saw. George Foreman in 1994, he, uh, he's already had some other fights for some, some time, but now in 94, George Foreman was about to get into the ring with Michael Moore. Now, this was uh, his chance for uh, George Foreman to possibly win back the heavyweight title. Um, but he lost that title 20 years earlier, and that's what he lost to Muhammad Ali. Foreman now, in 1994, when this fight's uh, taking place, he, he is now 45 years old. He's decidedly slower. He's less furious uh, he, than, than he was when he was younger in the 70s in his prime. And he's also fighting a 27-year-old man. Moore is 27 years old. He's the champion. And in this fight, when it took place in 94, George Foreman was receiving, during that fight, a boxing lesson from this 27-year-old guy. I mean, for every punch that Foreman threw, the younger, stronger Moore threw two. And George Foreman found himself bruised and, and his face swollen and he was battered. Maybe, maybe you feel a little bit like George Foreman. Maybe you feel overwhelmed and overloaded. Maybe you feel behind in your to-do list because everything that's happening this summer trying to get ready for school. Maybe you feel like this picture right here, that you were just overloaded. Do you feel overloaded? Do you feel like, or maybe that's not enough. Maybe you feel like this next guy here, <laughs> just waving it in the air like you don't care. Maybe you feel behind in your money or in a relationship or in your career, or you could even feel behind emotionally. Maybe there's a past that you can't seem to get away from. 
or maybe it's something right now that's happening right now in your present. So maybe you feel like this next guy. Maybe this is you. Here he comes. Oh, everything's all happy there with the bubbles and happy life. But it's not going to stay happy. Maybe something... Ow. <laughs> maybe something has just punched your lights out. And you find yourself now maybe in some kind of fight. And maybe you feel down, but I want you to know through this series as we begin talking, I want you to know you don't have to be out. So what are you fighting? Do you feel like you're having to fight right now for your marriage? And maybe you feel down, but I want you to know you don't have to be out. Or is it a relationship maybe with one of your children? You may be down for the count. Maybe the count is going on right now, but you don't have to be out. You, you can get back up, and we want to help you do that in this series. It could be a relationship with a friend, and you have the breath knocked out of you. But I want you to know you can recover. At work, maybe people are getting promoted all around you, and, and maybe they are passing you by. And so you may feel down, but you don't have to be out. Students, as school gets ready to start, yay. Maybe you're just anxious because maybe there's some subject or maybe there's something where you just struggle to make the grade. And maybe you hear the teacher in the background counting it off, counting it off. I just want you to know it doesn't have to be over. Or you could be like me and George Foreman. Maybe you love cheeseburgers. And maybe over the course of the years, maybe, maybe you've gained a little hamburger weight. Um, maybe you're feeling the impact on your health. I just want you to know, you may feel down at the moment, but you can get back up. And we want to help you do that through this series. Has an addiction been just beating you down? While that round may be over and you can't change that, I want you to know you have not finished this fight. The round may be over, but the fight is not finished. You have the round that you're in right now. And we want to encourage you. Financially, with your health, you may be down, but you don't have to be out. Emotionally, you may be beat up and exhausted and feeling finished. But you have not been knocked out. We want to help you get back up. You might feel in this life, like a little bitty tiny person in a world of rich and powerful giants. So you may be feeling down, but you can get back up. So George Foreman, back to him. The once heavyweight champion, now the cheeseburger-loving pastor, he thought, well, maybe I can raise some money for my youth program through boxing. Now, when I was taught this, what I'm going to be teaching you today, I, I just knew I had to teach this, and I want to teach it to you as accurately as possible, so please hang in here with me. George Foreman did not let his past failures or his current circumstances and situation, being slower, older, and overweight, he did not let that define him. And I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let your past failures or your current situation, your current reality, don't let that define you either. Instead, let God 
define you. You know why? Because God specializes in down-for-the-count moments. God rocks come-back-from-behind victories. God specializes in the comeback. But if you take part in this, it is going to take something from you that you're going to have to offer. You're going to have to have something to give here in this if it's going to happen. You're going to have to believe that God that God can define you instead of your past and instead of your current situations, that God can define you. It's going to take one more thing. It's going to take hope. And many of you this morning walked in here without hope. But I want you to know this. Hope, it goes beyond what you have experienced. Hope. It, it, it goes beyond your past. It, hope goes beyond what your present circumstances are right now. You see, hope is less of a thing. It's not hope in a thing. It's not really hope in a situation or something physical like, oh, I, I hope I get some money. We, that's the kind of hope we think about. But that's not what we're talking about. You see, we think about a kind of hope that says, oh, I hope this will go away, whatever the problem is that's beating you down. Or we say, oh, I, I hope that this will pass. Or I, I hope that something good will drop into my lap. Or, or I hope this will stop and I hope that will start. That's what we tend to think of. But I, I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm not talking about a hope for something. I'm talking about a hope in someone. And many of us this morning may have walked into this worship theater, you on Facebook Live, for some of you, you walked, uh, sat down into this experience without hope. But I believe this. I believe that you can walk out of this room and you can leave the Facebook Live broadcast with some hope today. Because today we're going to try to do our best to point you toward the greatest source of hope, and that is Jesus himself. Let me tell you this story. There was a very hopeful young man, had lots of hope. And he walks up to Jesus, and he had hope. He, had, he was very hopeful because as he looks at his own life, he sees himself as a good person. I've done a lot of good things. I'm a pretty good person. That's what he thought. And he saw himself as a religious person. I've done a lot of religious things, attended a lot of religious meetings, uh, have been at a lot of religious ceremonies. I'm a really religious guy, so he had a lot of hope. And he was also a pretty moral person, saying, I've tried to stay away from this and that. I've tried to do the things that God wants. I, so he was, he was pretty moral. He was really hopeful, though. He had a lot of hope. Let's just be honest. This hope, he had a lot of hope because he had a fat wallet. And so this guy walks up to Jesus. And here's what he asks. Jesus, listen. What, what good things must I do, Jesus, 
to have eternal life. Wink, wink, Jesus. Really, I mean, as you know, Jesus, I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good. Actually, Jesus, I've been really good, Jesus. So I have been so good, Jesus, that as you can see, I've been so close to God. I've been so good that God has chosen to bless me with a lot of wealth. So, Jesus, while we're on the topic of me, my favorite topic, um, go ahead and tell me, what, what's left for me to do in order for me to just knock out this eternal life thing? Jesus, what, what, what is there for me to do? And so Jesus answers his question, and he gives him this little short list. He says, okay, um, if you want eternal life, you must not murder. And the guy's like, all right, check. I haven't murdered anybody. Day's not over, but so far so good. Haven't murdered anybody. Jesus said, you must not commit adultery. Oh, you thought you got me. Nope. Check. Haven't done that. He said, you must not steal. Check a Rooney. Haven't stolen a thing, Jesus. I'm good. He said, you must not testify falsely. Sweet, sassy, molassy. I'm good there too, bro. Check. Okay. Jesus, what else? Hit me with your best shot. What you got? What do I got to do? I'm almost there. I can tell. Jesus says, okay. Well, the next thing, I got. perfection. It, it, it's going to take perfection. So for you, it will take this. Okay. Uh, uh, pins and needles here, Jesus. I am waiting. I am waiting. Jesus said, for you, sell everything you have, all of it, and give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Jesus had an advantage in this conversation, because Jesus can see into the heart of man, and Jesus knew exactly where this guy's pocket of sin was. He knew, and it was his stuff. This guy worshipped his stuff. And so Jesus said, for you to be perfect, you're going to have to sell all of your stuff. Take it, sell it, give it to the poor. So as soon as he heard this, I mean, his head, the guy listening to this, his head must have dropped. And his hopeful smile must have melted into bewilderment. And Matthew says that this guy... He turns away and he walks away sad because he was rich. So as this guy is walking away, Jesus immediately turns and he talks to his disciples who are right there listening to the whole thing. And here's what he says to his disciples as they watch this guy walk away. Here's what he says, verse 23 of Matthew chapter 19. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus said this to these guys, when he, when he gives them this, they, they don't know what to think about it. 
I mean, because Jesus is making a joke here. And I know as you read this, you're like, that doesn't sound very funny. Jesus wasn't very funny. He didn't know how to tell a good joke. He told a great joke. We're used to American humor. This was classic Hebrew humor. And it was hilarious. It's all the extremes. So here's a giant camel, and they're picturing this as Jesus is saying it. And he's going through the tiny little eye of a needle. It's this extreme. And when they're hearing this, they're just like, they're gasping for air. Jesus, that's so funny. They're slapping their knees. It is hilarious to them. But we read this, and you might be tempted to think, oh, Jesus is saying the money's evil. That to have money or to have things is evil and wrong. I just want you to know, that's not what Jesus is saying here. And let me explain to you why I believe that's not what Jesus is saying. It's because what comes next? Listen to what happens next. So when Jesus says this, it's all funny and stuff to the guys, but then they start thinking about what he just said, and and now it kind of turns to shock. Verse 25, the disciples were astounded. So they start thinking about it. That's so funny. That's so funny. Ha ha. And it's the longer they laugh, it's like, wait a minute. What is he saying? They were astounded. And then they asked this question to Jesus. Well, the, the, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? See, they grew up with some bad theology. Most of us do. Most of us grow up with some areas of bad theology, something we just thought or something that somebody taught us that was not really biblically accurate. And here they have some bad theology. They were astonished by this whole thing. Well, uh, it, it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So this, this is a little interesting. They were confused about what they were taught growing up when Jesus said this because they were taught this, that God's favor... God's approval of your life meant that he would give you a lot of money and influence. That's what they were taught. Now, that's not correct, and that's not good theology, and that's not right, but that's what they believed. And so Jesus is correcting in this moment. He's not saying that money's bad, money's wrong. He's correcting their bad theology. He, he, he's, he's not making a, a commentary or a doctrinal statement about having money. He's correcting their theology, saying, no, 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 no. That's not a sign of God blessing your life, that he loads you up with money and influence. That's not what the sign is of God blessing you or someone being a good follower of God. And so then they ask this next question. They say, well, then if this rich man, that's why they're asking, if this rich man, God, This rich man means, because they think, well, God, you blessed him because you gave him money. And if, man, he's following you, you are approving of his life because you gave him money. And if this guy that you have approved of cannot go to heaven and be saved, if it's difficult for him, then there is no hope for any of us. No hope for us because we're not as good as him. We're broke. You haven't blessed us. You blessed him. He must be doing it right. If he can't go, how can any of us go? They ask Jesus, the disciples ask Jesus the very same question that we started off with this rich guy who asked Jesus, well, who can go to heaven? How can we have this eternal life? And Jesus gives them the answer. You know what the answer is? 
Who can go to heaven? Jesus says, no one. Wow. Listen to how he said it. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, who can go to heaven? Left to your own efforts, no one. He was saying, you are down and out. Left to your own efforts, you are down and out. There is no hope for you. There's no hope at all. There's nothing you can do to make this happen. You see, the rich young man came to Jesus with a lot of hope. A lot of hope in himself, how good he was, how religious he was, how much money he had. He had a lot of hope. Lots of hope. That was the rich young man. Hope in his circumstances. Lots of hope. But Jesus took his circumstances away. He said, that's, not, that's no hope for you. Took his money. He said, no, your money, there's no hope there for you. Not in that, no. The good things that you've done, no, no, there's no. That, your past, all that good you've done back there, no. No hope in that. And Jesus would look at us and say, no matter how much you go to church, that's not enough. No matter how much you go to mass, not enough. No matter how much you go to confession, no matter how many activities you're involved in in church, it's not enough. He said this, with man, it is absolutely, completely impossible. Salvation is impossible to achieve with man. Now, in your life right now, you may be facing something impossible. It may deal with some relationship that you have. It may be legal problems. It could be with money. It may be something about your health. But those are just circumstances. And as bad as they are, I'm not trying to minimize those at all. As bad as those circumstances might be in your life, Jesus says that that is not the greatest impossibility that you will face. The greatest impossibility is this. We are hopelessly separated from God and there's nothing we can do about it. So what do we do? Jesus says this, but there's hope. There's hope because God loves you. For God so loves you. And God so loves you. God so loves you. And you. And you. And you. And you. For God so loves you. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have eternal life. That is their answer. Who can be saved? Jesus says, with man, it is impossible. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But then Jesus goes on to say this, but with God, everything is possible. 
with God, all things are possible. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be beat down. He allowed himself to be subject to the anger of all of those people when they ripped his beard out of his face. He allowed them to beat him until his back was not recognizable as a human. He allowed them to nail him to the cross. He allowed them to kill him. And then they placed him in a tomb. And Jesus was not alive any longer. He was down. Completely down. You cannot get more down than Jesus laying in the tomb dead. It was over. His followers looked on. They were thinking, that's, that, that, that's our one and only hope. Jesus was our only hope. Our one and only hope. Murdered on the cross. He's down for the count. The next day, Jesus was down. Jesus was still dead. It was over. It was a knockout. He was dead. Have you ever felt like in your life that it was over? That there's no hope, that there's no reason to go on? Have you ever felt that way? Because if not, you very possibly will feel that one one day. And for many of us in here, we have felt that in our own lives. In 1994, George Foreman in the ring, he was taking a beat down, but he knew there was a chance. You see, he was losing. He was beaten and he was slow and he was swollen and he was behind on every single scorecard, way behind. There was no way he was winning. He had been dominated for 10 rounds. The people in, in the college, they were proud that he was even in the ring lasting 10 rounds. They didn't see that he could do it. They, they were proud that he was just there and that he had lasted the beat down for 10 rounds. George Foreman was beaten and everyone knew it. Watch this. He just needed a chance. Foreman just needed one opening. He was behind. He was losing. He, uh, for all practical purposes, had lost. But he just needed one opening for that big right hand. And it came in the 10th round. You saw it. I mean, it didn't look overly powerful, but it landed right directly on Moore's chin. And the champion went down. One broadcaster, as I reviewed this story, one broadcaster actually said that he landed the punch right on the button, and it was the button marked lights out, and Moore went down. Moore had thrown 641 punches to that point, and George Foreman had only thrown 369. But with this historic victory... Foreman broke three records. First, he became the oldest fighter to ever win the heavyweight championship, the oldest fighter to ever win. Secondly, 
20 years was the longest interval between the first and second title of a fighter. And the third record he broke, the 19-year age spread, 19 years, the age spread between the heavyweight champion and the challenger, that was the greatest age spread for a heavyweight fight. Now back to us. With your heavenly father, nothing is ever over. God never runs out of time. The clock never runs out on God. He is never knocked out. He never ever loses by the decision of the judges. He is never down for the full count. The first day in that tomb, Jesus was dead. They thought he was down for the count. The next day, he was still dead. They thought it was over. But the next day, on Sunday, God just thought it. And the stone rolled away. And Jesus walked out of that tomb. Not as a ghost. He walked out alive. And all of that, it means this. If God can bring Jesus back to life, he can bring hope back to your life. And it's not a hope in your circumstances. It's not a hope in what you can do. It's a hope in him and in him alone. Because that impossible circumstance that you're facing right now, it is not the greatest impossibility that you have faced. Your eternity was that. And with God, anything is possible. Stuttgart Harvest Church, we need to live alive possible kinds of people. If Jesus is alive, then anything is possible. Stuttgart Harvest Church is here because of this. When by God's leading, just a handful of people, they were looking to make a difference. And God hooked them up with a broken down, worthless, busted up church starter named Harley. And God did the impossible as he started Stuttgart Harvest Church. It was born. Friends, anything is possible. We need to be an anything is possible kind of people. And my challenge is this, let us see 500, 1,000 of your friends and your family right beside you, pursuing him, following him, worshiping him here with us. Because Jesus is alive. And I'm not saying this to say that all of your circumstances are going to work out, that everything is going to go the way you want it. We're just trying to pursue Jesus and let him change our lives. Because our Heavenly Father specializes in comebacks. That's what he did for me in my life. He specializes in turnarounds. That's what he's doing for many of you. And we want to see our friends and our families experience come from behind victories. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8. He said, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. 
in you. That very same spirit that raised Jesus to life is living inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. So what do we do with that? I mean, what, what do we do with that? Three things. Three things today. The first two are super easy. We can all do the first two. The last one, it's going to be tough. Just preparing you right now. The last thing I'm asking of you today is super tough. Let's start with the first one. It's easy. Will you pick one area in which you're behind or you feel behind in this life? And today I want you to write that down. And it's just between you and God. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anyone else. Just between you and God, write it down. And I want you to have this conversation with God. Say, God, I need your help right here with this. And God, I know it may not turn out the way I want it to turn out, but I need you, God. And I need you all up in the middle of this life. Will you tell that to God? That's the first thing. Facebook Live, you can do that right now as well. Second thing, just come back next week. And bring that area in your significant step with God, you. And be prepared next week to take some kind of significant step with God. And if you're in town next week, be here. I just need to say this. If you're in town and you're not back here with us next week, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm lovingly being honest. I, if you're in town and you're not here and you just said God I want you all up in my life I just have to ask you the question do you really if you're not if you're in town and you're not here do you really want God all up in the middle of your life these first two are easy do those write down that area have that conversation with God and then bring if you're in town bring that with you in your heart next week now here's the third thing this is a tough one this is a big one. We've never done anything like this. I don't believe that I can remember in our church. Some of you right now are feeling down for the count. Life has happened and you're struggling. And I say this to you as your friend and as a pastor, it is time to pray. And in just a moment, I want to pray for you, specifically for you. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask you, if you feel like that you're down for the count, in just a moment, not right now, just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. And I know that's weird. But if you're feeling down for the count, just stand in just a moment, not right now. In just a moment. And then I'm going to ask the people who are seating, uh, sitting right beside you and behind you and in front of you, I'm going to ask them to stand beside you, right beside you in just a moment. Now, let me take the pressure off. If you are here today, this is your first time. I, I don't want you to feel pressure to do this. 
I, I don't want you to think that if you don't stand that God's going to hate you. That if you don't stand that, that somehow you have offended God and us, that's, that's not what this is about. This is about us trying to, to begin the process of instilling hope back into your life. You might be thinking, well, Harley, if I, if I stand, they're going to think, the people in here are going to think I don't have it all together. And I just say, welcome. You're, you're one of us. We don't have it all together. We are imperfect. Let us begin to help you in this process of placing hope back into your life. If you're on Facebook Live, the person who is at our computer right now is going to be in their heart standing with you. And the way you can let us know on Facebook Live, if you're standing, no one may stand at all. And that, it's, that's life. That's, they may not. But on Facebook Live, if you're standing, just type it in. You stand with your fingers. You type in, I'm standing. And whoever's at the computer, they're standing with you. And in this room, just a moment, we're going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. You're going to just stand right where you are. If you feel down and you want me to pray for you right now, will you just stand right where you are? There may be no one, but there may be somebody. Stand right now. I hear people standing. I hear people standing. I hear more. Okay. I hear more. Okay. I see people standing. Now, people, church, if someone is standing beside you, stand with them. You may have to stand up and get out of your aisles, and you may have to cross rows, but go stand. Nobody stands alone. Nobody stands alone at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Go stand by. Put an arm on their shoulder. I'm going to do the praying for us. You're going to be praying in your hearts. Online, we're standing with you too, right now. I know there are some people who cannot be here today. I have a feeling they're standing. We're standing with you. Let's pray together. Bow your heads, let's pray. Jesus, you said to us, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And Lord, we respond to you. I am tired. My burdens are heavier than I can bear. Lord, please give me rest. Jesus, you said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart. And, I, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give is light. And I respond, Lord, you've promised if I ask, not only will you take my burdens, you'll take them upon yourself, but you will teach me how to find rest for my soul. And my soul craves that right now, God. Yet it seems everywhere I turn, I find something else to worry about. Lord, show me your ways. Begin to fill my soul with your gentleness today. God the poet wrote, search me, 
O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. And Lord, I respond. I, I, I know you don't desire for me to be anxious. Instead, you want to sanctify me, God, through the work that you have given me to do here in this life. That work of living for you. So God, I ask that you search me. Show me what I am doing in my life that might be ungodly. And God, help me remove it from my life so that as I live, you alone, God, will get the glory. And Lord, you spoke to Israel and you said, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And Lord, I believe that your words tell me that you will help me too. Thank you for holding my hand when I am overwhelmed, God. And please reveal yourself to me in new ways. Fill my heart with your comfort. Fill my body with your strength. And my busy life, God, please show me rest. Help me to trade my worry and my stress for complete reliance upon you. And God, this week, every time I feel overwhelmed, will you please remind me to fall upon you and to fill me with your peace, your peace of mind that can only come with the knowledge that you have promised to give my soul rest. And it is in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. And church, I ask everyone to stand with us right now as we sing to our Heavenly Father.